Thank you, um, <clears throat> Pastor, for the invitation to come. It's, it's about 11 months since I was last here in Queensland, and uh, the time has gone very, very quickly. Uh, and thankfully, about uh, 10 or 11 days ago, your uh, Premier uh, <clears throat> allowed us unworthy Southerners to come back <laughs> unchecked across the border. We may be a little bit unclean, but uh, we're not as bad as Victorians. So uh, um, it's good to be here, and um, thank you for your continued support, uh, prayer support, financial support of the young family. We appreciate that. We uh, are glad to partnership with you in the, in the gospel, in the Lord's work. So thank you. And it's good to have Robin with me this time. And yesterday was our 39th wedding anniversary. And yes, Robin deserves a medal. Okay, we know that. And, uh, and because you're thinking, I'm not old enough to be married for 39 years. I mean, 19 maybe, um, maybe 25, but 39, I mean, I just... Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, Robin still looks like my... Uh, uh, like a daughter, you know. She doesn't sort of get old. But anyway, um, it's one of those things. Um, <clears throat> maybe the lack of hair has something to do with it. But... Um, no, it's good to be here. Thank you. If you've got your Bible, please, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And this has nothing to do with tonight's message, but um, growing up in Australia in the 60s, uh, 60s and 70s, I was born in 1962, um, there were some very vivid memories. And some of you who were sort of my age or thereabouts would remember... Um, <clears throat> remember those times because uh, there's no such thing as computers. We didn't even have a phone at Budgie Boy. Uh, we, didn't have, uh, we didn't even have a fan. What was air conditioning? I mean, we didn't have a fan. And uh, at school, every day we'd have milk. Who remembers getting milk at school? They were the days, eh? And, and of course, you tried to get to the front of the line so you got the chocolate milk. Um, because I like the chocolate, not strawberry. But of course, summertime, the milk had been sitting in the sun for, what, three hours or whatever? And it wasn't very nice. It was that sickly, warm sort of milk. But, um, but when it was cold, it was really good. Uh, and of course, the, great, the greatest memory of growing up in uh, 1960s Australia was Cracker Night. Who remembers Cracker Night? It was the greatest night of the year. And we didn't have much. We were very poor growing up. But every cent we could get for weeks before that, we would go down to the local... Co and there were corner, corner stores. Every, co every corner had a, had a shop where you could buy um, Tarzan jubes. Four for a cent, Tarzan jubes. So a cent was worth a lot of money. I mean, when I was a kid, if you found a cent on the street, it was Christmas. You'd pick that cent up and... Um, um, and uh, what was I talking about? Oh, cracker night, yeah. And, and, and you'd get, like, you would get a, uh, uh, like, remember the throwdowns? You know, you'd, you'd throw one behind your mother or behind the teacher or something. They were fan And then the Tom Thumbs. And if you were really tough, you would put a Tom Thumb and you'd light it and you'd hold it in your hand. I wasn't that tough. But Tom Thumbs. And now I sort of a, a stick, a stick of Tom Thumbs. And now, I didn't do this, but tying them to a cat's tail would have been a lot of fun. <laughs> I reckon Dave Holowati would have done a bit of that, you know. Uh, but, of course, then there was the bunger, the double bunger. 
and the thunder. Who remembers the thunder? They were they were the good. And of course, you'd put that in a in a letter block letter box <laughs> or under a pot plant. You'd just blow that thing to smithereens. But we used to we would come after a few weeks. You'd have a plastic bag or a paper bag just full of fireworks. And cracker night was the greatest. Queen's birthday weekend in June, greatest night of the year. It's amazing we made it through, eh? <laughs> but the, 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 the pretties, you know, the Roman candles and the skyrockets, I wasn't allowed to touch those. Mum used to put the skyrocket in a milk bottle on top of the fence and she, only she was allowed to light those ones. But they weren't actually as dangerous, you know, they weren't as dangerous as the double bungers. But anyway, it's a miracle that we made it to here, but we did and... Um, <clears throat> I'd bring back Cracker Night if it was me, but anyway. If ever I stand for Parliament Day, it's going to be the Cracker Night party. And uh, <laughs> I'll get a few votes. Exodus chapter 3. And the title of tonight's message is Standing Where Moses Stood. Standing Where Moses Stood. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the great day that we've had. Dear Lord, we love our country. We love the land that you've given to us. And Lord, when I say land, I mean people. Thank you for uh, either those of us who were born here or those of us who came here. Father, it doesn't matter. But we are so privileged to be in this wonderful country. Lord, bless our hearts now as we consider a few things and I pray that your Holy Spirit will take the word of God and illuminate it to us and may we be blessed and encouraged to action this evening. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Almost two entire chapters of uh, the early part of the book of Exodus are given in recording this quite amazing event in the life of Moses. Now Moses was one for great events. Um, he, even though he most probably did not remember it at the time, he was uh, floating down the Nile River in a little basket, would have been quite an event, dodging the crocodiles and then growing up in the, the house of the palace of Pharaoh. And of course the, the Red Sea crossing and, and the plagues and all that sort of stuff. But surely this was one of the great highlights of the life of Moses. Now he was Moses. We know that he spent 40 years in the palace of Egypt. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, he spent 40 years in the desert. Now for someone who was brought up Egyptian, now he was Jewish but he was brought up Egyptian, what was the saying about sheep? Shepherds were abomination to <clears throat> the Egyptians. And so here's Moses finds himself in the backside of the desert, fleeing from Pharaoh, you know, because he, he, uh, he killed the man and so on, you know the story. And he finds himself as a shepherd, tending the sheep of his father-in-law. You find all about that in the, the previous chapter. And this particular day, he, we assume he'd been there for about 40 years, that's a long time to be working as a shepherd. He was about 80 years old at this stage of his life. Now, I know back in those days, when Moses died at the age of 120, the Bible says that he was still a strong man, that his eye was still sharp and so on. And I don't know anyone this day that lives to 120. And, and, and I know that, that uh, you know, 60 is the new 40. Well, that's what I'm telling myself. And, and 80 is the new 60. But even if you're 80, it's still, you're not a spring chicken at the age of 80. And yet here's Moses 
out still looking after his father-in-law's sheep. I've got no idea how old his father-in-law was by this stage. But he was an old fella. And here's Moses out there. And I'm sure by this stage he's wondering, what am I doing with my life here? I've given up the palace and all the, the fineries of life. And I've been here 40 years now tending sheep literally in the middle of nowhere. And not only did he find himself in the desert, the Bible says that he found himself on the backside of the desert. So wherever the desert was, he was on the backside of the desert. In Australian terms, we would say the back of whoop-whoop somewhere. But of course, it wasn't just anywhere. He was on this particular mountain. He found himself on the Mount of Horeb, called the Mountain of God. And here we come to this great story of the burning bush. You know the story. Verse 2, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. We would most probably have done the same thing. Why is this bush not burning? So here's my first point in tonight's sermon. Moses found himself on higher ground. He found himself on higher ground. This is the first mention in the Bible of Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb, uh, most of the, the, the commentators uh, or the old geographers would say that Mount Horeb was the same as Mount Sinai, but it was about 7,500 feet high. So it wasn't as high as most of the surrounding mountains, and in world terms it wasn't a huge mountain. In fact, it was only a couple of hundred feet higher than Mount Kosciuszko. But here's Moses. He found himself on higher ground. Why did he find himself on higher ground? I'll tell you why. Because he was about to meet God. He was about to meet God. Now, the theologians call this, uh, <clears throat> verse number two, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. The, angel, the, the theologians call this a Christophany. In other words, a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, we know this was the Lord because it says down there in verse number four, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. So here is um, <clears throat> God coming down to meet with Moses. Now, by the way, here's a little aside here. If ever you're speaking to Jehovah's Witness, this is, this is a great passage for Jehovah's Witnesses because um, <clears throat> whenever they, they don't knock on my door anymore for some reason. They used to. I think I'm black banned from uh, Jehovah's Witness door knockers. But um, uh, <clears throat> Exodus 3.14, let's read it. We didn't get to that in our passage here. Exodus 3.14, we'll read verse 13. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Funny name, but that's what God said to Moses. He said, when you're going to the children of Israel and you're telling them who sent you here, tell them, I am sent you. Now, going back to the Jehovah's Witnesses, because they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. Take this verse, Exodus 3.14, and then take them to John 8.58. And that's when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. 
to remember those two verses, okay? Uh, and, and we know that the Jews that Jesus was speaking to understood because they wanted to kill him for blasphemy because he made himself God. But just think about this. Why, why was this higher ground? Because God came down to meet Moses. It wasn't so much Moses going to meet God. No, he was just up there tending his sheep. But God came down to meet Moses. Now just let that sink in just for a moment. The creator of the universe coming down to meet with someone specifically. God did that with Abraham. Remember when, 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 when uh, the angel came to meet Abraham and it said when, when he'd left communing with Abraham. At different times in the Bible, God actually came down to meet with people. Just think of that. The great I am, the creator of the universe, the one who created the universe and all that is in it within in six days, the one who spoke creation into existence, that this great God who has no beginning and no ending, this God came down to meet with Moses. Wow, that's, that's special. That's special. In fact, let me read another verse to you, um, skipping over to uh, Exodus 33. God went with, met with Moses quite often. Exodus 33 and verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Wow. Talk about being on higher ground. God spoke with Moses, not Moses speaking with God. God spoke with Moses as a friend speaker face to face. That's incredible to think that the God of the universe would come down and literally speak with one fella. You know, the amazing thing is God wants to do the same with us. God wants to do the same with us. If you belong to God, if you are one of God's children, if you are born again by the Spirit of God, you are in God's family, God wants to meet with us every single day. To me, that is an incredible thing to consider. Should I want to meet with God? Yes, of course, but God wants to meet with me every day. Um, someone says, but... Um, <clears throat> I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm really busy. Yeah, we're all busy. Everyone I know is busy. Even people that have got nothing to do are busy. They're busy doing nothing. But here's the creator of the universe wanting to meet with us. You know, <clears throat> you know God loves us more than we love him. Now, we, we love him because he first loved us, but God cannot love us any more than he does. And in the same way, God wants to meet with his children. And yet so often we ignore him. We do. We go about, we have everything else in life. We fill our lives up with, and, and, and usually it's the stuff that's important, going to work and, you know, putting the kids to school and doing whatever else you've got to do. All good stuff. But we have no time for God. That should be, that truth should blow your mind. That God wants to meet with me. God wants to fellowship with me. Why did he make us in the first place? Was God bored? No, no. He made mankind to have fellowship with. He made us in his image. 
That's why we are different to the rest of the creation. We are not just one of the we are not one of the animals. We are different to that. We are made in the image of God. God wanted to have fellowship with us, and guess what? He still does. He still does. So here's the question. Let's put the rubber right down where, where, the, where it meets the road. Did you meet with God this morning? Did you get alone with God this morning and read some of his word? Now, everyone in here has a Bible. If you don't, I guarantee there's, there'll be one out the back somewhere you can, you can get. You can download them for your, for your phone, although I think it's good to have a printed Bible And we can all pray, but it does take time. It takes time. It takes, what, what's the word? It's a habit. It's a habit. And when you get into the habit of meeting with God, when that is the, the very first and major thing in your life that you do is meet with God every day, it takes a bit of time to do that. Young people, you need to make it a habit to meet with God because God wants to meet with you. What am I saying here? Every Christian every day needs to get on higher ground. We need to get on higher ground. And it's a wonderful thing to get on higher ground and spend time with God. Just enjoy his word. Just, I mean, you don't have to read the Bible as a theologian. I mean, you can if you want, but just enjoy the Bible and enjoy the presence of God. I tend to, uh, I'll, I'll admit this and... It's a failing in my life. But if I kneel down to pray, so oftentimes I kneel to pray, but oftentimes I'll fall asleep. So I tend to walk when I pray. And I guarantee there's some people around my home there in, in Coffs Harbour. Sometimes I'll be walking and I'll just be talking away. Just occasionally I'll actually be weeping when I'm praying for someone. People must think I'm nuts or having a breakdown or something. No, I'm just talking with the Lord. Talking with the Lord. Um, get on higher ground, folks. Get on higher ground. I love the poem. I wrote it down. I met God in the morning when my day was at its best and his presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long the presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me and we sailed in perfect calmness or a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed but the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind when I too had loosed the moorings with the presence left behind. So I think I know the secret learned from many a troubled way. If you meet God in the morning, you must seek God in the morning if you want him through the day. So if you get nothing else from this sermon tonight, get on higher ground. Make it a habit of your life to meet with the God who wants to meet with you and enjoy his presence. Enjoy his presence. Not only was Moses on higher ground, the Bible tells us that he was on holy ground. Look at verse 5. He, that's, G, that's Jesus, said, Draw not nigh hither. Don't come any closer. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest, standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Not only was Moses on higher ground, he found himself on holy ground. And God said, take your shoes off. Out of respect, out of submission, whatever it was. Now, was 
Was the dirt on Mount Sinai that day, was, the, was there something magical about the dirt? No, it wasn't the dirt. Dirt's dirt. But God was there. God was there. And for Moses, this became holy ground. In actual fact, in, in reality, wherever the Christian is, that's holy ground. You know why? Because unlike the Old Testament, you know, in the Old Testament, God actually came down to different people at different times. And then a few chapters in from here, we see that uh, Moses <coughs> instructed uh, the nation in the building of the tabernacle or a big tent. And so they built this tent. It actually wasn't even that big. But it was quite elaborate, this tent. And then they had in the tent, they had two rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies or the holiest of all. And they had particular furniture. You know the story. They had the, the, uh, the brazen altar outside and they had the, the laver where they did the washings and they had the table of showbread and they had the altar of incense and so on. But inside the holiest place, the, the second part of this tent was the, the ark, the ark of the covenant. And it was basically a box like this, overlaid with gold. And then on the top, of this, the top of the box was actually called the mercy seat. And then there were two angels, cherubim they were called, solid gold. And they sort of were uh, moulded and fashioned on top of this and their wings touched right at the top. And so right in that little space there on the top of what was called the mercy seat, that's where God lived. That's where God lived. And that's why the high priest can only go in to make an atonement one day a year. If he went in on another day, he would be instantly killed. You can read all about that in, in, in the, 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 uh, the Bible. But God actually lived there. And of course, along came David. He wanted to build the temple. He wasn't allowed to. So Solomon built the temple. And then God moved from the tent or the tabernacle into the temple. And that's where God lived. But you know, God doesn't live in the temple anymore. Guess what the temple is? Your body is the temple or the tent or the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. So God lives in the believer. So in actual fact, wherever we are, God is with us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So in actual fact, wherever a Christian is, that's holy ground because God is there. But in a, in a particular sense for Moses... He was on holy ground. That word holy means separate or set apart. Moses met God and God, of course, was about to give him some incredible instructions. And it was a holy place for Moses. And that mount, the Mount of Horeb, Mount Sinai, became a holy place for Israel. And I think for the Christian, there are, some, there are just some places in your life that are holy ground. I know for me personally, you must probably heard this story before, but there's a little town called Doylson, just uh, in between Newcastle and Gosford. And it's just off the, the Pacific Highway actually runs straight through it, but now you've got the M1 freeway there. And there's a little church there called Doylson Baptist Church, still there to this day. And, uh, and I often drive past that. I often stay down there at YE on the way to Sydney or whatever. And this little church there, that I was, uh, my mum was a member of the church there and I was seven years old, 1969. It was December, December the 14th, 1969. I was a little, it's only a little church, honestly. It's, 
a quarter the size of this, maybe a fifth the size of this building. It's just a little church, and it's Baptist Union Church. And I was a seven-year-old kid sitting on the front row here with my mum and my brother Lyndon. I think Lyndon was asleep from memory. He was only five. And there's an old fella called Norm Harris. Norm Harris was the Baptist Union evangelist for New South Wales. And he was just a firebrand preacher. I don't remember what he preached on that day. But I do have some old recordings that, I've, that someone digitised for me. They're actually on my website, I think. If you go to phraseyoung.com, you can listen to some, um, uh, there's some sermons you can stream from Norm Harris. They're a bit scratchy, but he was an old firebrand, hellfire and brimstone preacher. And I don't quite remember what he preached on that day. But I do know that he said, look, if there's someone here, you need to be saved. You need to ask Jesus Christ into your heart to be your saviour. I want you to come forward. And that's what I did as a little seven-year-old, freckly-faced, skinny kid. I came forward and I said to the preacher, I need to be saved. I don't remember a lot about the day. I just remember, I remember my mum crying and I remember my brother, I think, was asleep. And I don't even remember praying a sinner's prayer, but I just remember that that was the day I believed. I said, yes, Jesus, please, I believe you died for me. I need you in my life. And the old man that uh, counseled me for salvation, his name was Bob Middleton. He's obviously with the Lord now. And, but when you're seven years old, everyone is old. It's older than you. <laughs> he was old back then. He said, Fraser, you've got, to, you, you've, you've got to get your assurance from the word of God. 1 John 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He said, Fraser, trust the promises of God. And to me, that day, that, that little, little church there, that little bit of dirt, to me, that's holy ground. Two, just over two years ago, it was 50 years to the day, and I remember I was actually preaching at Beth Shan that particular Saturday. They had a Christmas outreach. And I had my two uh, oldest grandsons with me, and I said to the, my two oldest grandsons, I said to Alex and Nick, I said, we, I've got to go to a little place. You've got to come with me. I've got a story to tell you. And we went to that little place. I said, boys, it was 50 years ago today. This is holy ground. This is when Pa, that, uh, they call me Pa. I said, this is when Pa asked Jesus to save him. For, and for me forever, that little bit of land there just off the Pacific Highway, that's holy ground. That's where Jesus came and saved the little boy. And there's just a few other places in this great land of ours that are holy ground for me. There's a place called Lane Cove River National Park. It's not far from the middle of Sydney. In, in October 1981, we had youth camp there. And I was at the Condal Park Church and, and I'd been serving the Lord. I finished school. I was working at the Sydney Water Board at the time. But God had been working on my life to, be, to go into full-time ministry. And there was a fellow who was preaching that day. And again, I don't remember what he preached on. But he said, there's someone here... And God is calling you into full-time ministry and you need to surrender. He was talking to me. And it was a pretty good-sized crowd that day and I remember I walked down the aisle afterwards, uh, the invitation. I said, Pastor, I'm the one you're talking about and God has been on to me now for a couple of years and I know I need to go into full-time service. I know, I'd already been preaching. I preached a few times and God had blessed. I said, I need to go full-time. 
So here I am. I said, what do I do? He said, you need to get trained. And so I left my job a few months later, enrolled in Bible college, did four years at Bible college. But for me, Lane Cove River National Park, I haven't never been back there since. That's over 40 years ago. But for me, that's holy ground. God came down and met me again and said, listen, you need to surrender. I said, okay, Lord, I've no idea what I'm letting myself in for here. But you've been working in my life, Lord, for a number of years now. And that's it, Lord, whatever you want. And there's one other place in Sydney that's holy ground for me. And uh, <clears throat> I've been uh, I'd trained for the ministry. And I'd been a, a, an interim pastor for a few years. And uh, <clears throat> just, just involved in the Lord's work. Door knocking, street witnessing, um, song leading, youth leader, all that stuff. Preaching all over the place. But I had, a, I had a really cool job. I worked for Australian Airlines. Who remembers TAA? Try another airline. Okay, yeah, TAA. But it was better than the other one. Don't chance it with Ansett, okay? So that was the other airline. But I had this, uh, and TAA then became Australian Airlines. And, uh, and I, I was in commercial sales. I, as far as jobs go, I had the best job. I used to get paid a very good salary to take corporate clients to the Australian Open Tennis, <laughs> the MCG corporate box, the SCG corporate box. Uh, we, I used to slum it up at Great Keppel Island, <laughs> Brampton Island. Uh, and uh, we I went to uh, Perth and Darwin and Alice Springs and back to Melbourne and up the all over the place. It was it was it was hard work, terrible work. <laughs> but uh, that's how you did business in those days. And I could fly anywhere in Australia. Uh, and this is back in the days when when the service was really good, like the seats you actually fit in the seats. <laughs> now you know I don't know. Maybe it's me, but I reckon the seats are shrinking. But anyway, <laughs> I could fly anywhere in Australia for 10% of the fare, confirmed space. And occasionally I flew business class, but most of the time it was first class. Who, who bothers with business when you can fly first class? Occasionally I, I stayed in a four-star hotel, but most of the time it was five-star hotel. I could fly anywhere in the world twice a year with my family for nothing. Now, that was standby tickets, but it's still pretty good to be able to go to England or America for nothing with your family, first class or business class. I had this great job, and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, now, and the Lord was putting upon, he was working on me for about 18 months. You need to go full-time in the ministry. You're a preacher. I've called you to the ministry. Now, get in the ministry. Well, I was having this discussion with the Lord. I said, Lord, I've got this incredible job, and I can, Lord, I can help you out in the ministry with all these airfares, and I can be a help to all the churches. I don't have to burden them, and I can just get back to work. Lord says, no, no, you need to go full-time. Oh, that's a hard one. I remember exactly where I was. I was on the Great Western Highway, Wentworthville, turning right into, I forget the name of the street. I was listening to a message on cassette by Dr. Tom Williams about full-time ministry. And I said, Lord, right here at these traffic lights, I surrender. I'm going full-time in the ministry. I just, as it was, drove a stake into the ground and said, Lord, this is the spot. And to, to me, even now, that right turn lane on the Great Western Highway at Wente, that is holy ground for me. 
and I left my job. Just a few months later, we moved to Bathurst. I had no support. I had no meetings. I had no nothing. I had, we had three kids at the time. He said, what are you doing? I don't know, but God knew what he was doing. That little right turn lane there at Wentworth Field on the Great Western Highway, to me, that's holy ground. God got through to me that day. Maybe there's someone here and you're not a Christian. You don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour. You're not born again and you know that. Hey, you need to get on holy ground. You need to, you need to meet with God. God wants to meet with you. God wants to save you. That's the holiest of all ground coming to know Christ. Maybe tonight's the night you need to get on holy ground and find the Saviour. Lastly, this evening, Moses was on higher ground. Moses was on holy ground. And then Moses was on happy ground. He was on happy ground. Why would Moses have been glad that Jehovah God came down to meet with him. Well, first of all, he got to find out God's will for his life. Look at verse number 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth the people of uh, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Finally, finally, Moses got to find what God's will was for his life. Do you think that he... <coughs> Don't you think he had some dark moments in that preceding 40 years? Dark moments? He went from the penthouse to the doghouse, just like that. And for 40 years, he's out there tending sheep. This wasn't the promised land. This was the desert. Don't you think he had some dark times? But now he met God and he was on happy ground. Finally, finally, he knew what God had been preparing him for. And if there was anyone that was prepared and was skilled in living in the desert, it was Moses. You imagine Moses going out of Egypt, leading the children of Israel, no idea how to live in the desert. He knew that. He knew how to survive in the desert. God had been preparing him. You know, it's a wonderful thing when you find the will of God for your life. It's a wonderful thing. Moses knew the suffering of his people and up until this point, there was nothing he could do about it. And God came down and said, Moses, you're the man. You're the man. You're going to lead your people. Now, we, we don't have time to go into this, the rest of this chapter and the next chapter because he said, Lord, well, that's, that's fine, but Lord, I'm, why me? Why me? He says, Lord, I, I can't speak. I'm, I'm not a good public speaker. Okay, okay, I'll get Aaron to come and do the public speaking for you. And Lord, how is this going to happen? Yeah, I'm just a shepherd here. says, Moses, <clears throat> throw your rod down. It became a snake. Wow. You thought the burning bush was good. That, that's pretty amazing. Until the next bit. Moses, go and pick the snake up. Whoa, pick it up. All right, he picks the snake up. Comes, comes a rod again. Lord, I still don't believe. All right, Moses, put your hand in your jacket. Put your hand in your jacket, brings it out. It's all leprous. Whoa! Moses put it back again. Back to normal. You can see Moses still had his reservations. You'd think after the watching the burning bush and talking to God, you'd be fine. <laughs> but he still needed persuading. 
But I guarantee you deep down Moses was happy. He's finally thinking, now, now I seem to understand what God is doing. I see now a little bit maybe of what God has been preparing me for. There's nothing greater than being in the centre of God's will for your life. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. Sometimes I'll be having a huge battle on the inside, especially before you get to preach. You have this huge battle and you don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden the Lord will say to you, listen, it's a battle. You're in a warfare. You've got to preach. You're preaching this week. You're preaching the gospel to sinners and Satan has thrown every dart he can hurl at you. So of course you're going to have conflict. Of course it's going to be hard. And you, but it's such a relief to realise, oh, yes, I'm in a warfare. I'm doing what God wants me to do. All right, Lord, just get me through this time. He was happy because he was in the centre of God's will and he found out what God's will was for his life. And then lastly, he was happy because God said that he was going to spoil the Egyptians. Look down at the last, uh, the last bit of um, the chapter here, verse uh, 21. And I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians and it shall come to pass that when you go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbour and of her that sojourneth in a house jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. God said, Moses, you have no idea how this is all going to pan out. He said, you are owed 430 years back pay with interest. He said, I'm going to look after you. <laughs> you are going to leave Egypt in a big hurry and you're going to leave Egypt. Well, he didn't say this, but they were going to leave filthy rich. Filthy rich. You see, God is no man's debtor. And Moses at this stage is just seeing to think, well, hang on. Yeah, God's got this worked out. God's got this all worked out. He's come to meet me. He's shown me what his will is and he's going to pay the bills. Isn't it amazing that's what God does? God pays the bills. It must seem like I'm a broken record saying this, but <clears throat> if God's called you to ministry, a full-time ministry especially, most of us aren't called to full-time ministry. I understand that. But if God's called you to full-time ministry, just surrender and then just obey God. He'll pay the bills. He always has and he always does and he always will because he's God. He'll pay the bills. Surrender to what God wants for your life and then obey. Obey. God's, if God's calling you to the mission field in these last days before the trumpet sounds, just do it. Just do it. I was speaking to someone 12 months ago, about 12 months ago, less than that, a lady at a church I was preaching at down south. And she said, well, how do you, how do you, support, how do you support yourself? I said, oh, God. Yeah, but what, what businesses do you have beside, you know, behind you? I said, I don't have any. Well, what, what, sort of, what sort of backers have you got? I haven't got any. Oh, I've got churches that support us, but I never asked, I never asked a church for support. We get a little, little bits of support come in and we're very thankful for that, but I didn't, I didn't ask for that. So you don't have a, a, an organisation or a company? No. Oh, I've never heard of that before, this lady said. <laughs> All I have is God. All I have is God. All Moses had was God. 
if God wants you in the ministry to labour in Australia, to go to one of these LGAs and start a church, to go up to Gympie with, with Jim and start a, help start a church, to do something here, to, to volunteer, for, to surrender for the ministry, to be pastor's right-hand man maybe. If God puts that upon your heart, just do it. Don't wait till you're wealthy. Don't wait till, you know, you're going to lose a lot just like that. God can take it away from you just like that. Get on higher ground. Christian, get on higher ground. ground. Get on holy ground. Get on holy ground. If not a Christian tonight, bow before the creator, the one who sent his son to die for you, to die for your sins. He was buried and rose again. He wants to save you. Get on holy ground. And then get on happy ground. Find out God's will for your life. And then realise that whatever God calls you to, he will pay the bills. We need to stand where Moses stood. Let's pray. And before I, before I pray, and I'll hand back to Pastor, and, and before we have any music or however he wants to finish, maybe there's someone here... <clears throat> this evening and you are not a Christian and you've never, ever, ever been born again. Oh, you've been to church hundreds of times, a thousand times. But you've never been born again. You need to get on holy ground. You need to come to the cross. You need to come to the Saviour as a hell-deserving sinner and say, Jesus, save me. Save me, change my life. I need to be born again. I need to be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's you this evening, here's the invitation right where you are. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. But I'd like you to respond to the message. This is how I'd like you to do it. Just put your hand up. Putting your hand up is not going to save you, I understand. But what you're doing is saying, yes, I understand, preacher, that I am a sinner. And I am not saved. I do not belong to God. Jesus does not live in my heart. But I want to be saved today. I want to get on that holy ground today. Just put your hand up, please. Put it down, get, put it down again. I'll pray for you anonymously. Is there one person you'd say, preacher, I don't know that I'm a Christian. Maybe there's a Christian here. Maybe it's a young man. Maybe it's a young lady. And I don't know your heart, I don't know your mind, but maybe God has been working in your heart to surrender to the ministry, the full-time ministry. Now, we're all to be in the ministry, I understand that. We're all to be in the local church doing what we, uh, what we can to further the gospel. But just now and again, God calls on someone and says, you need to be the next preacher, the next missionary, the next assistant pastor. Maybe God's worked in your, maybe there's just one person here tonight and God has, has been working in your life. And usually I've found it, it's not just all of a sudden. Usually takes a few weeks or a few months or even maybe a few years. 
you'd say, preacher, that's me. And I need to get on holy ground tonight and surrender my life to the Lord. After we prayed and after pastor has come, the opportunity will be for you to surrender. Come forward and, and drive a stake into the ground and say, this is, this is the time, this is the night I'm surrendering my life to the gospel ministry. Father, thank you for the message of your word. And Lord, our circumstances are not as spectacular as Moses' circumstances were. But Lord, you love us just as much. Lord, I pray that there will be some Christian here who will get on higher ground every day. And Lord, if there's someone that's not saved here, Lord, that they would come to holy ground and have the Holy One come into their lives. And Lord, if you're calling someone to the ministry, Lord, in our great land, please, Lord, may they surrender today, whether young or old, Father. Lord, there's another Wayne Shemish here somewhere. There's another Moses. There's another Pastor Hernan. Please may they surrender to your work, Lord. Bless the close of the service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.